All right, gang, welcome to the True Wealth Radio Show, the greatest Tuesday you've had all week. We are stoked to have you. Dave Littlejohn in studio joining me today. Matt Dixon. And yes, Matt, it really does exist. I didn't believe you, but apparently it does. Do you want to enlighten our listeners on what <laughs> we discovered? The Big Mac Index. <laughs> Uh, the Big Mac Index is hilarious. Uh, it's relevant only because we've, we were talking about inflation, right? So the Federal Reserve is going into meetings, and we're thinking Wednesday we get a rate decision. Here's the crazy thing. Right now, markets are pricing in something like a 99% probability, 99.4% according to the CME FedWatch tools that suggest that rates will go up a quarter point to, on Wednesday. Okay, so that's what they expect the Fed to say. So inflation still being addressed by rising interest rates, the the Fed trying to tamp inflation down. But one of the ways to look at inflation is the Big Mac index. Now, that's really, there's two different things you can look at. You know, that Big Mac index, well, there's probably more than that, but there's a couple. What are the two, two main ones? The two main ones, one of them is the cost of a Big Mac over time. Okay. So, like, what did it cost, say, 20 years ago versus today? Does, uh, it, does it go back that far? Does it actually show? So, I'm show... looking back to the – in 1960s, they were 45 cents. Okay. Um, let's see. The, in the 1970s, uh, I was trying to figure out uh, 65 cents. In 1980s, it went $1.60 for a Big Mac or two fifty nine for two in the value pack. Uh, the 90s, it was $2.45 or four fifty nine uh, for the for the Big Mac extra value meal. Right, so under five dollars in the '90s, and then in 2000, this is what's interesting: the the Big Mac itself was two dollars and thirty nine cents. In 2010, it had gone up to four dollars and nineteen cents. Wow. 2020, four dollars and ninety five cents, or seven dollars and eighty nine cents for the meal. So the meal was uh, closer to eight dollars in 2020. Now a couple, I think it's probably closer to nine dollars now. Uh, but somewhere in that eight to nine dollar range for a Big Mac meal today, and in uh, the 1990s it was four dollars and fifty nine cents. So it's doubled over the last 25 or so years the price of a Big Mac. And you go, okay, well, so it got more expensive. So everything got more expensive. Well, here's the interesting thing that people use the Big Mac index for. One of two things. One, compare the cost of the Big Mac to how the consumer price index has changed over time. Mm-hmm. And largely, the CPI adjust, the Big Mac has gone up a little bit more than CPI. So, um, and I think the answer to that one is probably corporate greed or something yeah, like that. Trying right? to make a little bit extra. Right. Here's what's funny it's also interesting to compare the costs around the world. So the Big Mac index is like, well, what does it cost to buy a Big Mac here in the United States versus some other country? Like right now, the Big Mac index. And this is index, all just saying, like, compared to the US dollar. Right. right. Like, so, if we were to convert it to US dollars, yeah. yeah. Uh, currently, this is what it suggests at the end of this. So, December of 2022, so about a month ago. So, data hasn't been updated yet. But the uh, if you were to be in Britain, the British pound is 12.9% undervalued. So, a Big Mac costs three. 0.79 pounds um, in Britain, which is uh, $5.36 US. So it says it's about a 71 cent more uh, to to buy it in or the United States than in Britain, right? So hmm. the pound is 
um, undervalued in that sense, or that the U.S. dollar is stronger. And that, by the way, aligns. Right. Right. I mean, the the dollar is stronger relative to a lot of European currencies than it's been in many years. So all of this to suggest that um, you, I guess, are going to pay up for your waistline because ultimately, you know, if you eat at McDonald's for more than just the occasional indulgence, probably not a great health decision. But I don't care what anybody says. I'll say it on air. I'm not saying it's good for you, but a Big Mac does taste good. <laughs> they design it. It's like anybody and says, everyone, oh, I hate McDonald's French fries. And I'm like, yeah, no, what no, is wrong with yeah. you? How could you hate McDonald's? Like they have studied this. It is maximum flavor. Mm-hmm. Best French fry. It's just like this. all other French fries are compared to McDonald's French fries. I'm not saying they're good for you. And I can't figure out why you can drop one between your seat in the car, find it two years later, and it looks the same. That's terrifying. And you're putting that in your body? Yeah, very, very suspect. But when they're hot and fresh, like, oh, my gosh, they're so good. <laughs> Golly. What's, what's the secret? We all want to know. They, You know, people have talked about the way they make them in this double fried, dipped in some kind of, you know, addictive narcotic. I don't know. It, 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 it's the McDonald's it's all in the oil. secret. Yeah, it's all in the oil that they're using. It's magic. It's just it. So anyway, enough about the Big Mac index. We know that inflation is real. Uh, I I think it's an interesting one to talk about for a minute. That what do you do as an investor when you've got an environment where we're staring at inflation, rates are going higher, mm-hmm. and maybe for the first time in a while, you go to the bank and a CD isn't paying point oh nothing. Mm-hmm. It's not paying a lot compared to sometimes in history, but you know, maybe you can get three or four percent on a CD if you're willing to lock your money up for three or four years. Right. So now what? Well, I know you asked the question, what do you do when inflation is this hot? And I guess I could say, well, what do you not want to do when inflation is running like this? And one of them is probably don't just sit there in cash. Okay. You're talking about leaving cash like, yeah, like in a it, safe in your mattress or just yeah, in a checking that, account, not earning interest. Right, yeah, that doesn't sound like a good idea. Yeah. Well, that's uh, – I mean, that's pretty common. Mm-hmm. Uh, folks will uh, just stockpile and they kind of set up – and it, I don't know if it's – there's a lot of reasons that folks probably don't. But, yeah, you're not – your money's not doing any work for you. So right. it is losing purchasing power if inflation is on the rise. Mm-hmm. Uh, this, by the way, is a, a dirty little secret of investing. There is no such thing as risk-free. That's true. Right? It doesn't exist. It's just which risk are you willing to accept? Mm-hmm. Okay. So, you know, is it conversion risk? Is it inflation risk? Is it the risk of realizing a loss because you've converted into an asset that's declining in value? Right. There's th- those are there's lots of different risks variants, but there's no point where you're like, I can do this and take no risk. You're saying there's no free lunch. Well, sure. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's that certainly in the economics of the world, nothing happens for free. There's always some energy that's expended somewhere. The question is whether or not somebody gets compensated for it. Mm-hmm. You know, if you have slave labor, it can make things look free to somebody else. It just meant that you stole from the other person's labor to give it to somebody else for free. It's never free, right? It's true. It's like there's no such thing to it's free energy. It's all converted from somewhere else. Yeah. So in talking about 
inflation today, what's something else that's kind of on your mind? Um, what What do you got for me here? Well, I'll tell you what's driving the conversation. And for all of you listening regularly, you know that we get our investment committee together on a regular basis. It's usually Tuesday mornings. Uh, we don't do it every Tuesday. We used to, and we discovered that that wasn't necessarily a great idea. Why is that? Well, strangely enough, if you stare at something all the time, mm-hmm. you tend to want to do stuff, right? It becomes mm-hmm. a gadget and you want to start messing with it. So like, if you're checking the account every day, you're like, well, what can I do <coughs> yeah. to make another nickel? It's hard to stay an investor when you're, you make your time horizon short, mm-hmm. right? Hey, I keep looking at this moment to moment to moment. You're like, well, why? I don't know. I just want to know. At what point are you going to start tinkering with it? Because mm-hmm. it's so fascinating, right? And so we discover that you can over tinker. O- yeah, well, <laughs> you can just over engage to the point that you micromanage yourself, right? Mm-hmm. Your own decisions. You second guess your own decisions. Your emotions sneak in and you start to just want to over tune things. And this is a real thing, right? It's like, well, you know, if I could just make an extra 0.004%, you know, at at what cost of sanity and, and what if you're wrong too and you lose a point something right. something percent because you're just too impatient. So I didn't want to, you know, we, our committee kind of agreed, we're taking our eye off the ball by over tuning these things. Mm-hmm. So that, now that doesn't mean that we don't manage these on an ongoing or basis. Or that we're watching it every day. Yeah, we, we still are. have all the, the safety mechanisms in place to monitor everything. But we don't try to make actionable decisions right. in between unless something significant has changed. Mm-hmm. And, and like def- definition of something significant, okay? Fed has an emergency meeting that's unscheduled to announce a big rate change. Okay, we may have to adapt. Some geopolitical risk. I mean, we've talked about this is scary, right? And, and just so we, I don't think it's going to happen. But Putin decides that uh, nuclear is a real option. For war. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's a game changer event where you're going to have to get real in a hurry. Yeah. Okay, because that can affect the entire world fast. And then you have to make decisions about, and, and by the way, the decision may be do nothing. Right? That that's a, that's a very real possibility for investors is there's nothing you can do if the entire world gets hit by something like that. Right. So, so I'm. I just. I have to say this because, especially from a regulatory perspective, uh, we manage client investments, and I need you listening to to realize when I tell you that geopolitical risks and things are an issue, I'm not recommending necessarily anything other than be alert and engaged. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean to change things. It just means be aware of your. The, the, the circumstance that you're engaged in, because it, it could create knock-on effects. You know, oh, legislatively, if we have to change rules, we have to do something. COVID's a real example, by the way. Mm-hmm. They changed IRA distribution rules during the COVID crisis, right? That didn't change your investment strategy. It changed your distribution strategy and how taxes were managed. But they're, co- they're, they're commingled, right? They, they're right. related to each other. So they're real, and if you're, you know, if you weren't taking distributions, you maybe never noticed, but many people did, mm-hmm. right? So that's what I mean. Is you just have to be kind of 
engaged at this point. So there's no actionable advice here other than don't disengage. Okay. Yeah. But no, don't get too sense. active. So back to your original question though, Matt, which mm -hmm. is what did the investment committee start talking about today? Right. Well, in yeah. light of rate hikes. Well, we talked about quite a few things, but I don't know that I'm really ready to tip the hat because I saw those headphones go oh, on. And so <laughs> it's like this killer I'm gonna, tease. I'm going to leave that as a cliffhanger till right. after this obscene profit break. Yeah. So we'll take a break. When we come back, we'll talk about there was a specific action item that we're looking into. It's not a recommendation. But it's something that we're trying to figure out on our end, and we'll talk about that more when we come back. Stick around. This is Dave Littlejohn. And Matt Dixon. And you got True Wealth on News Radio 93.9 FM and 1240 KQEN. All right, gang, welcome back to the True Wealth Radio Show, where, reminder, if you were just joining me and Matt, you can hook up the podcast. You better do it, because it's an right. awesome show. P.S. New website, if you want to check that out. Did we launch? So the new website is up. Um, there may even be tiny proofreading things that somebody will find in there. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, if you do, uh, we'll fix it. Let me know. <laughs> yeah. Brownie points if you can find a mistake. Exactly. So uh, when we last left our heroes, mm -hmm. which I, I know that's self-aggrandizing, but you guys will work with it. Right. Uh, so Matt and I were talking about our investment committee and mm -hmm. what we were sort of contemplating here. Again... I'm not, this is not recommendation territory. We're not telling you to do stuff, but let me tell you what's interesting to me. Um, we talked about the Federal Reserve, right? Yeah. Expect a rate decision on Wednesday this month, mm -hmm. or I guess the next month, right? Because it's the last day of January. Uh, so we'll see on Wednesday what, I guess it's, it'll be announced Thursday. Right, so they're they're going into meetings in eighteen hours, I believe, or maybe the Fed announcement is Wednesday. I think it's Wednesday. I think they're in there right now. I think now. it is. Yeah, I think they're in there now. They announce tomorrow at like two or something. Right. So when they do, which will be eleven o'clock our time, when they announce, the market is expecting a twenty-five basis point rate increase, mm -hmm. and it's priced that into almost perfection. Like there's ninety-nine plus percent probability that that's what happens. Here's what we're wondering. How many more rate hikes? And if you look at the Fed futures, people are still, uh, they're able to sort of invest almost, it's not gambling, but let's just say they're sort of trying to bet or handicap what the next rate hike will look like. Mm -hmm. And they do this for months out at a time. And the, the market looks like maybe one more rate hike is what is expected from the market. Yep. And then probably about done. Could that change? Yes. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. So we're not predicting the future other than to say, here's sort of where the money is indicating it will go. This is mm -hmm. where people are positioning their investments. Okay. If that is the case, then we may see a change in interest rate environment. Why do you care? Well, I'm glad you asked, of course. First of all, if you're a mortgage seeker, okay, you may see rates begin to start declining a few months from now if the economy is slowing down and the Fed says, well, we're not raising rates anymore, and then the market is starting to price in, okay, well, when might they start to come back down? Mm -hmm. So you may see rates start to decline again. Well, I told you that story to tell you this one. Bonds are a really interesting animal. 
We've talked about this on the program before, but it's been a while. Yeah, because um, we don't typically talk about bonds. I mean, when I say a while, it's probably been a few years since I really talked about this much. Mm-hmm. So I want to just remind our listeners, bonds oftentimes can get complicated or into the weeds, but at the core, it's actually a really simple concept. And it's different than stocks, but that's why you often hear this discussion of stocks and bonds. Mm-hmm. Well, st- bonds are not stocks. No, okay. you become the lender. Correct. You are playing bank, mm-hmm. right? You're saying, oh, well, I will judge whether or not somebody is a risk and I will lend them money. Right. They will pay me interest. And then at the end of a stated amount of time, they will give me a balloon payment and give me my money back. Mm-hmm. Then who's the most guaranteed borrower out there? The United States government. Why? Because they have the printing press, and it's going to be pretty hard for them to default because they can just print more money. Correct. Yeah, because they could cheat. So do they have to give a lower rate of return or a higher rate of return? Lower. Exactly. And the question is, why, Matt? Because their credit risk is pretty darn low, right? Like right. The chance of them defaulting and not paying you back is low, so why would they have to give you a higher rate of return than, say, a corporation. Yeah. And here's the best way. I I like to put this in terms of, like, um, car purchase. For a really well-qualified buyer, you might get Mm -hmm. 0% financing. Yep. Okay. Because you've never missed a payment. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So what they're really saying is, well, you know, we can sell you this car. Because we know you're going to pay us back. (laughs) Because you have this history of always paying. And you look really good on paper and likely to pay us. And you also have the car, so we could probably take it back. So Mm -hmm. we have collateral in the car that you financed, and then you're likely to pay us because you have a really good history of paying everybody off that you Mm -hmm. borrow money from. Hence your credit rating. Right. You have no credit or terrible credit. You've been in a bankruptcy. You've had a history of not making payments. Mm -hmm. You've taken out a lot of credit cards and you're carrying high balances and you don't have, and you're juggling payments and missing a few of them here and there. In in short, you have terrible credit. So instead of maybe 0%, maybe you're at 8%. Or maybe you're at credit card rates of 22, Mm -hmm. right? Because what people are saying to you in effect is, I don't think you'll pay me back. If I'm going to loan you money, it's going to cost you, mm-hmm. right? Because there's a pretty good chance you're going to welch on this thing. Right. So tying that back to the bonds, the U.S. government is pretty likely to pay you back. So yeah. they don't have to offer you quite as much interest. Right. And and it's all based on their credit worthiness. Mm-hmm. Now, we can all snicker about whether or not we believe in the credit quality of the U.S. government. That's not the point, though. Right. The point is that when you have a printing press, you can pay somebody back. We And again, if you're like, oh, well, what are they paying you back with? No, I get it. They may be paying you back with toilet paper, but they can. Mm-hmm. Okay? So that's that's the difference. So now let's think about this for a minute. If... You're making a loan to somebody else. So, Matt, if I loan you money Mm -hmm. and I loan you money at 5% interest and you have to pay me back 5% interest, Mm -hmm. okay? And then tomorrow, rates double to 10%. 
you're not going to be very happy with 5% yeah. anymore. <laughs> and you're going to feel pretty awesome. Oh, yeah. Right? You great. locked in a great rate at 5% because everybody yeah. else has to pay double. But I'm cranky as the, the lender. Oh, yeah. I'm the bank and I'm going, wait a second. I could have gotten 10 and now I'm only getting five. Mm-hmm. And I turn around and go, you know what? Matt, you need to pay me back. And Matt's going to go, uh-uh, we got a contract. I'll pay you back when it's time. Right. And I go, right? That's a technical term. And then I say, you know what? Fine. I'm going to go talk to my neighbor and see if I can sell this loan to them. And then I'll go make a loan to somebody else at 10%. At 10%. And my neighbor looks at me and goes, what do you think? I'm stupid? Mm-hmm. Right? And I go, well, that's why I asked you. Ha, 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 No, I mean, what they're going to say is, if I buy this loan from you, I'm not going to pay full price. Right. You know, I'm going to pay you less than what you loaned to Matt. Yeah. And then between what they get paid for Matt in interest payments and when Matt pays them back the full amount at the end, because... It'll be closer to that it'll, 10%. It'll, it'll make them whole and it'll make it look like they were getting paid 10%. Right. Yep. So that is an interesting dynamic at play here because what happened is me as the lender, right? I made the loan to Matt. If the rate goes up, I kind of get hosed, right? Yep. Matt, you did pretty good. And so if you're bar if you have like a mortgage, you feel pretty good. Rates go higher and you're like, "Well, God, I'm glad I locked in my low rate." Mm-hmm. And everybody else is like, "Man, houses the are so expensive." The bank that lent you the money is like, "Gosh, darn it." Well, <laughs> and, and you know, the, the good news for most banks is they're kind of hedged on this stuff. Yeah. They have a portfolio that's balanced for risk and all that, but it does affect their future loans. Mm-hmm. Now, what happens if I make this loan to Matt at 5% and then rates drop to 2 and a half? Now you look great. I feel pretty good. My neighbor will pay more for my loan because there's no way he's getting that kind of deal. Mm-hmm. And Matt's like, hey, uh, can I refinance for free? And I'm like, no, dude, you, we got a contract, right? Yeah. I'm playing the other side of the coin now. It's, no, mm-hmm. you borrowed the money. You got to pay it back at that rate. Mm-hmm. So that's the issue here is that what we were talking about in our investment committee is, you know, for a long time, we've not been really excited about the bond market right. because rates were going up. And it looked like a really hard place to make money. Mm-hmm. But we're not sure that rates are going to keep going up from here. So can you see how it's starting to get more interesting mm-hmm. from an investment perspective is, hey, might we consider the role that bonds could play for our investor clients? Right. Okay. And again, not making recommendations here, but I'm telling you, this is part of our thought process. Okay. Right. Same way part of our thought process is if the market's are really beat up and rates stop going up and they start coming down, might that help the stock market start to recover? Again, we're just hypothetical, not a, well, not a recommendation. In but, theory, if people aren't buying as many bonds, where might they be putting that money to work? Right. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and I, I don't necessarily subscribe to the theory that the money either goes to stocks or bonds. Right. right, it doesn't necessarily do that. But what if the money were to start moving around in the economy? It would say, well, maybe it comes back into the stock market in different areas. Okay, and then you can look at well, what areas? Defensive areas of the market may be less attractive than they were a year ago. Right, right. A year ago, you're like everything's going in the tank. Look at utilities. Like everybody has to buy their pay their power bill, and so that's a pretty stable place to be. And there's inflation, so they're changing the prices and. And, and you go, okay, well, th- I see your thinking. Again, not a recommendation here. But 
you know, do you think that's still the environment now? Right. Okay. And this is the the stuff we talk about in committee. So I think that the conversation about the role that fixed income plays looks really interesting if rates are starting to top out. So we're examining that. Mm-hmm. Okay. And the same way that banks are not paying point oh nothing anymore in savings accounts or in checking accounts. Otherwise there's no money to lend. Right. Like if you don't lend them the money, they can't turn around and right. relend it. But make no mistake, if you want to get a loan from a bank right now, it will cost you. Oh yeah. You know, commercial loans that used to be available, let's say in the you know four and five percent range, are probably in the seven to ten percent range. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I'm not in the market for commercial loans, but it's more. Yep. Right. So this all affects investors, and when you think about money management, it's just one of those elements at play, and it's understanding how bonds look different than stocks. And the role they play, okay. So I think it's kind of an interesting discussion just to think about. Well, and and, and here's the really wild part: from a pure dollars invested perspective, a lot of folks don't realize this. The bond market dwarfs the stock market, hmm. right? Way, way, way more bond market than stock market. So interesting dynamic at play there. Yeah, it is. Are we going to talk about that in any more detail? Do you think? Well, I mean, I, I mean, I don't know how much we care. I mean, yeah. like, here's here's the thing. Keep in mind that the government's debt, a lot of that is the bond market too. That's so you go, oh, well, the United States has this massive, massive debt, and That's you go, true. well, there you go, right? Look at the market cap of all stocks combined, and then look at the United States debt, and go, <laughs> hmm, that so there it is. <laughs> it's, I mean, just that alone, and then there's corporate debt and otherwise. Yeah. So mortgages, you start to tally it all up, and and credit cards. I mean, debt is massive. Massive, 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 all because of this fractional reserve banking system. Hmm. And I don't know, you guys as listeners, I mean, I don't know if you really care to dig into the why. I just, I mean, like like deep into it. But just to know, the debt market's huge, and the cost of capital is the idea of, well, how much interest do you either collect as a lender or have to pay as a borrower, hmm. right? So that's the cost of capital at play here. The risk is a separate animal, but... I just wanted folks to think about it for a minute. Like rising rate environment, hard to make money in bonds a lot of the time. Declining rate environment, potentially easier to make money in bonds, which makes the conversation more relevant. So anyway, that's all I got on this one. We got to take a break. We're running long on this segment. So everybody stick around here as we, we're going to talk a little bit about portfolio construction. You know, here we are at the start of the year. We've got a month almost in the books. What do we look at going forward? Like that it. stuff and more. Stick around, we'll be right back. This is Dave Littlejohn. And Matt Dixon. We got True Wealth on News Radio 939 FM at 1240 KQEN. Hey gang, welcome back to the True Wealth Radio Show. Don't forget to grab that podcast to get caught up at littlejohnfs.com. Remember, we just launched a new webpage. So uh would love your feedback as well if you want to go on there and let me know how it looks. Uh email info at littlejohnfs.com. You can call and all that stuff too. But anyway, uh, I promised you guys, a lot of our loyal listeners, uh, we're talking a little bit about portfolio construction, like investment portfolio right. construction. Our investment committee is talking about this. We talked on the last segment about uh, the sort of the unique nature of bonds right now and how it's been different over the last few years or compared to the last few years. And as we, we got going here, I was asking Matt at the break. 
And I'm really curious what your answer is to this. Okay. You've been on the team now for about a year and a half. Mm-hmm. And you came from an entirely separate industry, unrelated yep. to investing. So, uh, But now that you've got some time under your belt, what are some things that you maybe thought were one way or yeah and then when you get inside the industry for a while what are some things that you've like aha moments or what have you learned that is maybe different or expanded mm-hmm. your knowledge from where you first started a year and a half ago i think one of the biggest takeaways has been you know before coming into the industry hollywood and the media and you know movies that you watch kind of display the stock market as a huge gamble which it not it, it that's not really how it works in my opinion. I don't think it's a huge gamble if you have the right parameters and you have a long time horizon. It's not a huge gamble. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some basic rules that you can follow that give you a pretty decent chance at success. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And then I think even bigger than that though, Hollywood has this way of making the stock market look like. Um, you know, it's this huge, huge, huge reward, right? Like you walk in one day and a year later you walk out a millionaire, right? Like you've seen these movies, sure, right? And it it kind of glamour, you know, it brings glamour around this thought of like get rich quick. I think it's not just Hollywood, by the way. I think the internet does oh, this a lot too. the Reddit too. boards. Yeah, yeah everywhere it's, you look, the whole YOLO because culture. everyone has that one friend that's like, oh, I know this one guy. He's a mm-hmm. friend of a friend. And like he put $1,000 in the stock market. Now he has like half a million bucks. And they right. want to tell you how he did it. Right. That's just the one in a million, right? And the weird thing is that just because something is possible – doesn't mean it's probable. Correct. Yeah. Correct. It's in fact, it's highly improbable. Uh, most people mess this up. Mm-hmm. And if I could, the thing that I have seen a lot, and it's to me, it's different than investing. Is uh, a lot of folks want to get into the options marketplace. Oh yeah. And options are highly leveraged. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now remember what leverage means in this case. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like, you know, you're borrowing the well. I'm going to put it in a more simple way. Mm -hmm. You're taking a smaller amount of money and you're leveraging it up to where you're, in a sense, owning a larger amount. Yeah, you use a small amount of money to control a bigger chunk. Yeah. So let's say I have $1,000 risked of my money, but I'm controlling $100,000 of money. And so I'm leveraged 100 to 1. It's high stakes. Well, what happens if you go from... $100,000 $100,000 and you lose 10%. You lost 1000 You lost, well, or no. 10000 You lost $10,000, yeah. but you put 1000 in mm-hmm. and you lost 10000 So you're 9000 in the hole. Right. Okay? So you 10X'd your, your loss. loss. <laughs> yeah. Yeah? On a percentage basis, it's the, you get the loss of the big pot on the small pot. You know? mm-hmm. uh, but the flip side is, what if you have a gain of 10%, your 100000 makes... $10,000. But your $1,000 is now worth 11000 right? The mm-hmm. 11, 000, the 1000 you started with plus 10000 of gain. Yeah. So huge upside, mm-hmm. right? Huge upside, huge risk. Yeah. Okay? And like I joke about this. I, some of our listeners know this, but when, when somebody says, oh, YOLO, 
right? Mm-hmm. What do they mean? They're just rolling the dice and yeah. whatever happens. What's happens. the acronym? <laughs> so you only live once. Right. That's what they're saying. YOLO means, hey, let's roll the dice. You only live once. It's the equivalent of saying, My financial I'm going to gamble this thing. Oh, yeah. You know, bet it on black. Mm-hmm. That's what they're doing when they say YOLO. And some people will YOLO two or three or four times. And, you know, one in 10,000 people gets it right four or five times in a row and turns $1,000 into a half a million dollars. Mm -hmm. You have to be lucky, too. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Right? Anybody who's been in the markets a long time and has done a lot of trading will admit that there is some element of luck on top of the strategy. Mm -hmm. Right? They can do a lot of things, but they have to have things go their way, too. I think another thing... Um, going back to your original question of, yeah, yeah. of you know, what is it that you might not realize? Um, I think part of it is that there's like the secret sauce out there and that someone has it and that this secret sauce is the key to being a successful investor, right? Mm-hmm. Like, oh, this guy's got this perfect concoction. If we listen to his six steps... I'm going to be able to replicate it and go make a ton of money. Right. What do you think is flawed with that? Like logically flawed. Logically, because if that were the case, right, everyone would be doing it. Because if it was actually that consistent, like if you told me, hey, Matt, follow these six steps and you're going to be a millionaire and I go and do it, I'm going to tell my friend and they're they're going to tell their friend and everyone's going to be making a million dollars. The problem is there's a you're going to close that loophole if everyone's exploiting right. the loophole. If it's a loophole, then there's an old expression that says markets abhor exploits. Mhm. Right? An exploit is it's like a cheat code. Right. Right? And and so it's no different than if you had uh, like if if there was a cheat code at a bank where you could figure out how to put your ATM make, card make, in yeah, and <laughs> like you like you know you found a way to basically fleece the bank Mm -hmm. they're going to figure it out and even if you could do it legally once they figure it out they're going to shut it down yep casinos do this by the way even gambling if they figure Mm -hmm. out that your counting cards are cheating somehow they'll they'll remove you right they'll they'll come in and say you know we're going to kick you off the gaming floor because you're exploiting the odds it doesn't mean that it's illegal for you to do but it is legal for them to refuse to allow you to stay and so they'll kick you out yeah Okay, and that's the issue. And I don't know. Maybe it is illegal. I don't think it's illegal to count cards. I think if you can figure out how to do it, it's on the casino to figure out and catch you and then stop losing money to you. But the, nevertheless, the stock market is like that. Yeah, it hates exploits. Mm-hmm. So I've always said to people, logically speaking, and somebody promises you that if you follow their system, you'll become a bazillionaire. Like then run the other way, because. Why would you ever give up the exploit if mm-hmm. you could print money? And I'm and I'm not trying to say that you can't find an advantage, right? Because like what we do behind the scenes, we pay for a lot of software, right? And we have a lot of programs that maybe the average investor doesn't have. Mm-hmm. And so you can gain an advantage of information right mm-hmm. um, and that can make you more probable to do better um, which I think is a very different thing yeah and the the reality here's the thing 
sometimes what happens is exploits don't scale. Okay, mm -hmm. like a, a small trader might be able to find a little thing that kind of works pretty well for them most yeah. of the time. The problem is it doesn't turn into something that everybody can do because the market it sort of rounds it out of existence. Mm -hmm. um, or the other is if you get to where you have too much visibility, I, like I, I like to say, if you've got you know a few hundred thousand dollars in Microsoft. It's trading billions of dollars, right? So nobody notices. Mm -hmm. But when you show up and you start moving billions of dollars around, they're gonna notice. Yeah, right. It's not like you're tiptoeing around with billions well, of dollars. And you're, and if you're trading that in big chunks, you're actually changing the price of the stock. Yeah, you're, you're affecting the market because yeah. you're so big. Yeah. So that that is an issue where when you start playing at an institutional level, it's very hard to exploit anything because. It's so highly visible, and so right. there, I mean, there are some things that are still exploitative. I mean, I think you've got dark pools, and you've got some areas where there's exchanges that don't allow you to see the buyers and sellers. So mm -hmm. there are these blind exchanges, and there's aftermarket trading, and uh, where you know institutions directly trade with each other without uh, involving the public marketplace. So they're not trading on the exchange at that point; they're intramarket or third market exchanges. So that stuff can still occur. But it's awfully hard to tuck it away in the corner somewhere when yeah, it's really big. That's right? true. So, yeah, the markets abhor exploits. And so I, I, I'm less interested in trying to come up with really cute ways to outperform the market than I am figuring out really smart ways to hang on to more of the money that you have to reduce risk exposure. Mm -hmm. So if you need the money... It's there. It's there, and you're not yeah. having to wait for the markets to recover to make a distribution. So volatility management, there are other reasons to consider how you approach money management. But, yeah. So, look, we're uh, we're doing the thing again where we run long on the segment. Well, what are we talking about when we get back? So we've covered, like, how to put together uh, – the, music, the music's already playing, I think, my headphones. Yeah, it is. No, I, that's right. I thought the headphones were unplugged. When we come back – Mm. Right. Uh, a few final thoughts on just where to go for resources okay. that uh, are available to you for DIY or for the not DIY for investment management. So we'll talk about that when we come back, but we have to take a break. This is Dave Littlejohn. And Matt Dixon. You got True Wealth on News Radio 939 FM and 1240 KQEN. All right, gang, welcome back to the True Wealth Radio Show. Um, we have covered some ground here, but for all of you, some of you listen to this program. And I think we have a few different types of listeners. Some of you are do-it-yourselfers, right? Meaning, hey, uh, I'm well, there's probably some of you that are just like, well, I just leave it on this channel and I don't know, people talk. To Here which I are. say, all right, well, thanks for tuning in. Some of you uh, may already be customers of ours and you're like, you know, we just listen because we're being supportive. Mm -hmm. Thank you. You guys are awesome. Um, some of you saw High Five that we were recently awarded the News Review Viewer's Choice Award for uh, Favorite Financial Advisor in Town. So, yes. cool. Thanks for joining us on that one. And then I think we've got some others. Like Maybe you are not a do-it-yourselfer. You may have another advisor uh, already, in which case you're saying, well, I'm interested in the topics, and I'd like to be able to be conversant with my advisor. Yeah. Cool. Right? I'm, I'm okay with that. Some of you may even be in the market for an advisor. And you're going, well, are these guys legit or not? And the answer is, I think so. But you get to be the judge, right? Mm. So you can see us after class, 541, 
right? Is that it? Yeah. It's 541 Because that's our phone number if you want to call us. They should. Yeah. Pick up that phone. And then there are those of you that are saying, well, no, I'm still kind of in the do-it-yourself or trying to figure out more. To which I say, awesome. And let's talk a little bit about some tools that are available that you can go and utilize many of them free. Okay. So one of the first ones, and uh, I'm going to disclaim on all of these, these are not recommendations, nor are they um, proof that they're right or anything like that. So everything that we're about to say is still kind of as is on this one, but I think they're interesting starting points for knowledge. One of the places, if you just want to learn more in general, and there's a lot of articles and a lot of resources, is investopedia.com. Right? That is like, a wealth of knowledge. Yeah, it's like encyclopedia, but investopedia. At one point, they literally had curriculum that you could study to get your licenses to enter the industry. Mm -hmm. Okay, so wealth of knowledge, very, very, uh, like just tomes of data, like lots of it there. But I think they make it pretty digestible. Yeah, okay? I would say so. And and the indexes are there, so you can find stuff. Another one. And this one I say more carefully, right? Because when they're associated with news services, uh, the news oftentimes has its own editorial bias, right? So all of these are sort of used not only with a grain of salt, but at your own risk. Um, Yahoo Finance is yeah. a really user-friendly way to look up lots of different companies and see some of the basic metrics for We'll call it fundamental data, like uh, price, earnings, shares outstanding, dividend yield. So a lot of information available there. What else do we have? Um, Morningstar is another one. They are a ratings agency that mm -hmm. uh, reviews a lot of mutual funds in particular. And they have some paid content, but they also have free content. So Morningstar.com is an interesting one to look up. For stocks, Finviz stands for Financial Visualization, F-I-N-V-I-Z. Yeah, Finviz is a personal favorite of mine. It's I really tons like of information and some neat screening tools if you're trying to go mining for investment ideas. What are some others that you can think of, Matt? Man, you've really touched on a lot of the, the major mm -hmm. key freebies there. I think freestockcharts.com mm -hmm. is one where if you want to go and play with some of the Charting tools. Yahoo has these too, but you can kind of draw charts and graphs and play with some of the data. Um, and that's pretty good. Uh, there are other paid tools as well. And I think I, I sort of run out of gas on some of these because we tend to gravitate toward paid tools. Mm -hmm. I think Justin uses CNBC as a website he does, pretty yeah. often. Um, they're pretty good. Finviz is also pretty good about this, but CNBC in particular has a pretty good news feed. I like Bloomberg for yeah. my news. Yeah, Bloomberg has a pretty good news feed as well. They have a lot of editorial content in there also. Mm -hmm. They tend to have their opinions and, and lean Market, into them. Market Watch has a lot of articles to read. Mm -hmm. yeah. So again, all free tools that uh, are a good way to learn more about this. And of course, keep listening to our show. And here's here's the other. Uh, find a mentor. Right, get yeah. in, join an investor investment club. Um, there are some, there are actually uh, online environments where investors talk. Uh, there are places where it's just garbage too. Make no mistake, you find a lot of trash out there. You probably find more trash than treasure in the internet. But 
there are a lot of resources. So just want to make that available to you. Now, as always, we have kind of our final segment here. Matt, do we have any um, of our financial terms this week? Yes, we've got two. We have two. Oh, I got to know. All right, so yeah. two two of them left in our final few seconds on the show. What yeah. are what have we got? Bubbleflation. Bubbleflation. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness. All right. Bubbleflation, that seems like the preconditions when you're looking at specific sectors that are the first sectors to start run up oh. going into an inflationary cycle. Mm. So you see that the original sectors that start were like when housing started leading and it all of a sudden house prices shoot up. So bubbleflation are the leading indicators or the leading sectors uh, in an inflationary cycle. I like that. That's okay. a good one. Okay. Um, the last one we've got is earnings printing. Earnings printing. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, earnings printing. This sounds like something that Enron did, right? <laughs> like when you talk about earnings printing is when you uh, manipulate accounting data to make the numbers look better than they actually are. That's a good one. All right. <laughs> well, and on that note, the music is playing, so I guess we're out of time. Do you have anything to add to our definitions, you know, Matt? You killed those two. I can't even touch that. That's great. <laughs> well, look, as always, thank you guys for tuning in today. Uh, if we can be of help, please don't hesitate to give our office a call. How do they reach us, Matt? Yeah, give us a phone call at 541-375-0898 or shoot us an email at info at littlejohnfs.com. All right, you heard it here, but we'll catch you next time. The preceding program was paid for by Little John Financial Services. The opinions and views expressed may not reflect those of Brook Communications, its affiliates, or its employees.